1: tonight. <laughs> I came when Todd Pulsifer was here, and I came when Steve Wilkins was here, hoping to get some insight as to what this was all about. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure I was any the wiser about what I was supposed to do. So um, turn to the book of Isaiah, if you will. What? What? I, I understand it's a game of two halves this evening. And um, so uh, in the, in the second half of the evening, um, I think it'd be great just to give you guys the opportunity to, um, to ask any questions, not just about what I share, but about really any aspect of prophetic ministry, um, what it means for the church to be prophetic, what it means or, or uh, how to, um, anything, anything around prophecy and prophesying. So if there's any questions on those any any of those kind of areas we're very happy to kind of take some of those after the uh, after the break but what I want to do is um, uh, just to look at the opening in this session just look at the opening phrases of the book of Isaiah um, the book of Isaiah is a wonderful book it's it's listed first in the in the prophets and really Isaiah touches on every Aspect of prophetic ministry. He, he talks about, in some way, shape, or form, just about everything that the other Old Testament prophets talk about. And um, if you want to get to know the message of the prophets, you, you, you can spend just a lot of time in Isaiah because you will find uh, the heart of the message of the prophets there uh, in the book of Isaiah. And I think what you also find is right at the start of the book of Isaiah, you, you just get this, this summary, he is, he's, he's introducing this book. Does anyone know why Isaiah wrote his book? Or would you like to make a suggestion? Why did Isaiah write this down? A bit louder? He had to. He, had to. <laughs> he did. Why did he have to write it down? He couldn't stop himself. <laughs> Any other suggestions? This, I, you, you probably won't come up with my little pet theory, so uh, and I'm, the Lord told
0: the him.
1: The Lord told him.
0: It <laughs> says he did.
1: Go on, what's it say? What's it say, Is Pauline? It
0: for the Lord has spoken.
1: Yes. And when God speaks, you've got to do something, haven't you? What were you gonna say? Right. So God was foretelling some 500 years before Christ what was going to happen. And Peter, the apostle Peter, tells us that all of the prophets speak about basically two things, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. Okay, and so, that, so all of the Old Testament prophets, and that includes what we, what we call the prophets, but actually Moses was a prophet, so we can bring in the books of Moses. Samuel was a prophet, so we can bring that in. David was a prophet, so we can bring the Psalms in. In fact, the Old Testament was almost exclusively written by prophets. And the prophets spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They were in anticipation of the greatest visitation that God would ever bring among humanity. And he had to write it down. My my little theory as to exactly why he wrote it down is this, is is that you know a little bit further into the book where he he experiences what we call his call, the call of Isaiah, his vision of the Lord in chapter 6. I don't know what was happening from chapter 1 to chapter 5 if he wasn't called to prophetic ministry until chapter 6, but um, God's... God says to him in chapter 6, verse 8, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God commissions him to a ministry of frustration. He says, Isaiah, I want you to go and speak my word, but I want you to know nobody's ever going to really understand it. Nobody's ever really going to listen. And and actually, that's that's my doing. And Isaiah's response is this in verse 11, that I said, how long, O Lord? (laughs) How long? I'm quite happy to go and start preaching and and bringing the message and be rejected, but ultimately, surely somebody's got to receive the word, somebody's got to respond to it, somebody's got to hear the word of the Lord, and God says, until the cities lie waste and without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burnt again, like the terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it's felled, and the holy seed is its stump. And God is actually describing the whole of the rest of the Old Testament era. He says, until the people are taken away from the land, until the Babylonian captivity, and though a tenth, a remnant, will remain, they will come back to the land again. The land's going to be burnt again, and this happens in the bit of the Bible that's not there, the 400 silent years, when Judah was again desolate and and and." and various invasions and under different empires until all that's left is a stump in the ground. And then, Isaiah, then the people will understand, then the word will be fulfilled, then the fulfillment of the promises will come. And I think Isaiah in his wisdom realized this isn't going to happen in my lifetime. (laughs) So I better write this down. I better write this down for a generation yet to come. I better write this down for a people who are going to have their hardness of understanding, their deafness of hearing, and their lack of insight removed, because God is going to move on them by his spirit, and the same Holy Spirit that communicated this word to Isaiah is going to live in a whole generation of people, and they're going to read the word, and it's going to come to life, and they're going to go, this is what God's doing in our time. He was thinking of you. You and I are the glories that follow. Yeah? What God is doing in the world today is the glories that follow. We live in the era of the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. Yeah? Christ inaugurated that through his suffering on the cross, and the first glory that followed was his resurrection from the dead. And everything that God has been doing since then has been about bringing his glory into the earth. And you and I are agents of his glory coming into the earth. Amen. So let's go back. We're going to look right at the beginning of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 1. <coughs> and just the first uh, verse and a half says this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Okay, we're going to stop there before we actually get into any of his message. Because what I believe Isaiah is doing for us there is he's actually framing what prophetic ministry is all about. He's helping us understand what the role of the prophet um, is in the purposes of God, Uh, in in the communication of of God's word from heaven to earth. In the Old Testament, the prophet often had to stand in opposition to what was going on around him. He often had to bring correction and rebuke to the people of of God. There's, There's a shift that happens in the New Testament. Because God has done a work in all of us, The Holy Spirit comes into us. He takes away the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. We no longer seek to live by external laws, but he writes his law on our hearts. We have a natural disposition towards obeying the word and the will of God. That's what the Holy Spirit living in you means. And so the prophet doesn't have to come now habitually to correct us and to tell us where we're getting it wrong and to threaten us with exile. But the prophet comes to help equip, who had the scripture up on the screen earlier from Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And essentially, for a prophet, it means the prophet helps you be prophetic. The prophet helps you individually live a prophetic life. The prophet helps the church corporately be God's prophet to the world. There are still prophets in the church but the church now is a prophetic community. We all share in the ministry of being God's mouthpiece into the world. And Isaiah starts with a vision, the vision. And the ministry of the prophet is to reveal to God's people a vision of what God is doing in the earth and to equip them to think to speak and to act in line with that vision. It's what the prophet's here to do, to reveal to God's people a vision of what God is doing in the earth and to equip them to think, speak, and act in line with that vision. God wants his people to have a vision. He wants his people to be consumed by a vision. Look at the Apostle Paul. For the Apostle Paul, vision was... ...was essential. In Ephesians 1, famous verses here. Verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us, who believe he says I want you to know I want you to see I want the eyes of your heart to be opened I want you to live by a vision that cannot be seen by human eyes I want you to be consumed with Jesus the apostle Paul himself how did he how did he come to Christ God appeared to him Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus If you read the account, it's told several times, we might get to turn to one of the times that Paul tells the story in a moment, but it's the the middle of the day, the sun is high in the sky, and suddenly a light brighter than the sun appears, and only Paul sees it. And a voice comes from heaven, and only Paul hears it. And after he's finished having this communication with this voice from heaven, he can't see anymore. I think if you or I were there, we would think this guy had actually gone a bit mad and had stared at the sun and had lost his sight. That's, that seems to me the, the kind of the naturalistic interpretation of what was going on there. But actually, he saw something that was so bright. He saw a vision that was, that was so radiant and so glorious that it, it actually made the sun seem dark. He saw the risen Christ. And towards the end of his life, in Acts uh, 27, Acts 26, he's standing before King Agrippa. And he describes his life, he describes how he was before, he describes his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he describes what he's given uh, his life since that time, which was probably somewhere between 20 and 30 years, what he'd given his life to doing. And he said, I haven't been disobedient to the heavenly vision. And here's the interesting thing what Paul saw was Jesus. He actually saw Jesus. He claims that he saw Jesus just as certainly as the 11 apostles saw Jesus in his resurrected bodily form. He says, I am a witness of the resurrected Christ. It wasn't just a vision in that sense. It wasn't this kind of apparition. It wasn't an imagination in his mind's eye. He said, no, I saw this. It was really there. It must have been really there. Look, it blinded me for three days. In fact, it blinded me permanently, but God healed me three days later. This was a real physical encounter. And at the end of his life, he said, I haven't been disobedient to the heavenly vision. And the interesting thing is that what he saw was Jesus. And what he gave his life to doing was was birthing the church, was that everywhere he went to leave communities of believers, men and women full of the Holy Spirit, men and the women consumed by a gospel, men and women defined and characterized by love. He said, that's the heavenly vision when it comes into the earth. That's what it looks like. What I've seen, what I've seen of Christ, when I translate that out of the heavens and into the earth, it looks just like this. Just have a little look around the room. I'm not the only pretty one here. There's lots of others. Yeah? This is the embodiment. This is the earthly reality of the heavenly vision that Paul saw. This is Christ. This is the body of Christ. We are the image of him. One of the images of the church that we don't major on too much, but it's there in Ephesians 4. And it's a slightly different image to the body. It's the mature man. The church is the the mature or the full or the complete man. What does that man look like? Exactly like Jesus. You see, that's what we're becoming. We're becoming the perfect image of Christ. And he's the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his nature. All those things that Christ can say about the Father, we can, say about the, we can say about Christ. He says, whatever, I don't, I only do that which I see my Father doing. We say, we only do what we see Jesus doing. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be opened. Paul's heavenly vision literally defined the rest of his life. You see, this is the kind of vision that God wants each and every one of us to have, that we have seen something of Jesus that defines the rest of our life, that actually determines what we do with every day of the rest of our life. What does it mean to be a prophetic people? It means to be a people who live with a vision of Christ before their eyes and that every decision they make Is done in the light of that vision. And every step they take is to further fulfill that vision. Isaiah begins the vision, but then he says this the vision of, the vision of Isaiah. What's he telling us? He's saying this I own this. This isn't just something I've seen, this isn't just a vision of Christ although Jesus tells us that Isaiah saw him in the temple. Yeah, Jesus makes it clear. It was me that he saw. But Isaiah says, this is the vision of Isaiah. Mm. You know, I think it's really important that we can all say that for ourselves. Not to say, well, this this is the vision of the elders. Well, this is the vision of the apostle. This is the vision of, of, of our church. It's getting a little bit better there, But, but really, to be able to say, this is my vision. You see, you, you won't run on someone else's vision. Uh, you certainly won't die for someone else's vision. But if you've seen something, if you've seen something of Jesus, and you realize, I am part of the fulfillment of what God is doing in the earth. I believe that every one of us can stand at the end of our lives and say, like Paul says, we've not been unfaithful to the heavenly vision. Everywhere we've gone, every day we've lived, every decision we've made, every conversation we've had has all been to further what we've seen of Christ. And if you think, I'm not sure I've seen that much, Paul's praying for you, yeah? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you might see the glorious inheritance in the saints, the, one, the, the, the hope that we have, and the amazing power that God has to work for us. He says, I want you to grow in vision. I want you to see more. You know, vision isn't just a thing for the young. In Acts 2, when Peter quotes uh, Joel... And it says, um, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. When I was a young man, I used to presume that the old men dreamed dreams because they slept a lot. (laughs) God would appear to them during their nap time. But as I advanced a little in years, I realized that there was something much more profound going on here. If you if you continue to see more and more of Christ and what he's doing more and more of the purpose that God has in Christ for his church you begin to dream you begin to push the bounds of possibility you know, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a limitless permission, isn't there? <laughs> it doesn't say, you know, well, stop and make sure that it's something that is, you know, in the heart and will of God and uh, search the scriptures diligently and then use your imagination. It's just it's more than anything you can imagine. He's able to do it. doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do it, but he's able to do but there's permission to dream. And you know, when you start to dream, your dreams actually get bigger than something you can fulfill by yourself. That's why old men and old women who are dreamers need young men and young women around them who can turn those dreams into a vision they can run with. Our, our sense of, of the purpose of God and what God can do should increase all the way through our lives. If you keep dreaming, it's a wonderful antidote to cynicism. Keep dreaming. Don't become nostalgic. You know the good old days? They were good. But you know what's in the future? The best. However glorious they were, we're being taken from glory to glory. So keep dreaming. And if you consider yourself old, share your dreams with those who are younger than you. Because you can fulfill the purposes of God in your generation without exhausting your capacity to dream of what God can do. And a generation younger than you needs to catch that and turn it into a vision they can run with and to own it. Isaiah says it's the vision of Isaiah. This is not some second-hand vision. He said, this is mine. I own it. I live it. Isaiah had, I love Isaiah. He had a very holistic ministry and as much as it involved all his family, often at key points in his life, the sign of his prophetic word would be that he and his wife would have another baby and give it a certain name. And um, I just love... Um, has my wife left the room? Oh, good. I love that the prophetic ministry, for Isaiah at least, extended to the bedroom, but I won't say any more of that because she'll be back in <laughs> in a minute. Um, <laughs> I can give you chapter and verse later if you need it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 29, 18, you probably know this scripture, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Some versions say, where there is no vision, the people perish. You see, if you don't own the vision, you'll either cast off restraint, what does that mean? You'll just go wherever you feel like going. Or, or you can read the other, the other reading, the people will perish, well that's even worse. You see, we've got to have a vision of what is God doing? What is God doing in this world? And it's great to have an apostle and, and apostles and prophets with vision and it's great to have elders with vision and it's great to have churches with vision but if you don't own that vision, you're not going to have what it takes to run and to see the fulfillment and to see your inclusion in what God has got for this world. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos concerning Judah, Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem. You see, there's a, heavenly out, there's a heavenly vision, but there's an earthly outworking. He said, I've seen this in the realm of the Spirit. I've seen this in the heavens. I've seen this because I've seen Christ. But there's an application that's going to come to where I live. This vision, because it's Isaiah's vision, concerns Jerusalem and Judah. Judah because he was a resident of Jerusalem in Judah. And when God begins to reveal to you, when you catch a vision of what God is doing in the earth, it will be for you, wherever he's called you, to minister. Now that will always include, I believe, it will always include where you live. It won't necessarily exclusively be that. David along with many others, travels regularly out to Kenya. Which is Kenya, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Because the vision that God's given him has an application. It's in Leicestershire and Staffordshire and it'll keep expanding and growing. (laughs) But it's also for somewhere that's halfway around the world. But you see, whatever God gives you a vision of, it's going to be where you can put it into practice, where you can actually implement it. For Isaiah, that was Judah and Jerusalem. We've been called to advance the kingdom of God. And the prophetic that has no application into the world where you live, um, well, it's not prophetic. Jesus, who is our model in all things, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Or as the message said, became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. See, the church continues Jesus' incarnational ministry. Jesus came out of the eternal and into space and time. And the church is to do the same with the purposes of God, to bring them out of the eternal and into the here and now of where we live, to outwork it here on the earth. He says it concerns Judah and Jerusalem, and then he says this, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. I love that. You see, Prophetic ministry means bringing the eternal purposes of God into the political realities of our day. Isn't it great that the kingdom that Isaiah was dealing with lasted, well, it lasts forever, but in Isaiah's lifetime, it lasted through the reign of four human kings. I just love that, the fact that what that says about the kingdom of God. It's like our queen at the moment. I can't remember how many it is. If we have got any ardent royalists in the room? They may be able to tell me. But she, is, she has seen, I think it's dozens of prime ministers, hasn't she? Well, she's, and it's that same thing. You know, she's there and she's constant and she's consistent and the others come and go. And it's the same with what Isaiah sees. He says, you see, the purposes of God are not thwarted or thrown off course by a change in the human affairs of mankind. He said it's the same vision. It doesn't matter whether it's in the time of Ahaz or Hezekiah or Jotham or Uzziah. It doesn't matter whether it's a good king. Uzziah was a good king with a slightly dodgy ending. Hezekiah, he was a good king. Or whether it's during a battle, it doesn't really matter. The purposes of God are not changed by what's happening on the earth. It transcends that. But prophetic people do bring the realities of the gospel of the kingdom, and they relate it into the matters of their own day. I'm sure none of you yet have have had enough of Brexit. I'm sure you're soaking it all up and enjoying the lively, uh, generous-hearted and polite debate that's going on. Um, (laughs) But you see, if you've seen a vision of Jesus, if you've seen a vision of the kingdom... If you've seen the glory of God coming and filling the earth, you won't vote based on economics, or what might happen in your pocket, or your view on immigration. You will vote, and I'm not telling you which way to vote, because sometimes it's difficult to work out what it means, but you will vote based on your conviction of what God is doing in the earth, and what further serves his purpose. What further serves the purpose of God in our nation? What further serves the purpose of God in our continent and in our world? Now, I'm not saying that we will all therefore we'll end up voting the same way in every election that comes up, because actually what you find is there are different things that chime with different people. There are certain aspects of the kingdom that some people are, that they say, this is, this is what I'm passionate about, and for others it might be something else that they're passionate about. And that's fine, the diversity of the body is part of God's intention. So it it doesn't necessarily mean you'll end up voting for the same candidate or for the same option. But I trust we're all voting out of the same motivation. I have an influence over human government, but my greater responsibility is to see the government of God come into this world. Which decision, which candidate is better going to serve that purpose? See, we bring the realities of the kingdom of God into... Our society today, they shape our society. And it may be a big thing like a a referendum. It may be something much smaller, just what's happening on your street, what's happening in your community. Prophetic people understand, and they seek to grow in their understanding of how the gospel of the kingdom relates to the realities of their day. Prophetic people make every decision based on the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will all always end up agreeing about all these things, but their motivation. Say, Lord, I'm I'm consumed with the vision of what you're doing in the earth. And I want to do everything I can to bring it about. Finally, actually it's not that finally, it's only one sentence in Isaiah, it's just taken me a long time to talk about it. Finally, Isaiah gets around to prophesying, and he says this first of all, and I think this might surprise some of us. He says, Listen, O heavens. Listen, O heavens. Isn't that interesting? When we prophesy, the first audience is up there. It's first going to be heard in the heavens. That's how God works, doesn't he? On earth, as it is already in heaven. We need to understand that if we want to see things change in this earth, there's got to be a change in the heavenly realm first. And God, for some reason, I would not have done it this way, but I'm not God. God. Thank you. (laughs) For some reason, God has determined that whatever He does, He's going to involve you. Isn't that amazing? Whatever He does, He's going to involve you. Do you know what? If you resist the voice of God, if you don't listen out for the voice of God, it seems to me that we can actually put back the purposes of God. He's said, surely we can't do that. Well, Peter tells us that by careful attention and being diligent, we can hasten the day. And although ultimately I know we can't stop God doing what he wants to do, we can certainly make sure we're not part of it. Or we can be those who open our ears and get to hear what he's doing Ahead of everyone else. Amos chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. For the Lord God does nothing, does nothing. Okay? He does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. And I would strongly suggest to you that that includes all of us. Because I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. God's sons and God's daughters are all, in that sense, prophets. He will do nothing without first revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Who was it said that he couldn't help himself? Isaiah had to write it down. God had spoken. And you know, that's what it is. God has spoken. God has spoken. God is speaking to us. His word continually comes. It's like the roar of a lion, which scares the pants off you until you remember he's on your side. The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? You see, God's prophetic people are supposed to be in a continual state of prophesying. doesn't just mean that you have your quota of prophecies in a meeting. Although I always love it when there isn't enough time to hear every prophecy, rather than kind of there going, oh, I really hope somebody comes and prophesies in a minute. Lord, we really want to hear you. But actually, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element in that in everything we say can be a declaration of the prophetic word of God. That our own vocabulary, our own speech is shaped and, uh, and, and framed by the word of God, by what God himself is saying. But Isaiah says, first of all, listen, O heavens. And when we prophesy, we first speak into the heavens because heaven is pregnant with the fulfillment of the kingdom. His will is perfectly done in heaven. It's perfectly done in heaven. And his kingdom has perfectly come in heaven. But his kingdom must increase. And so heaven is pregnant with an expectation. It just wants to, it wants to burst the kingdom of God down onto the earth. What's it waiting for? It's waiting for a prophetic people to say, Hero Heavens. You see, you can only say Hear, O heavens when you've heard what God is saying. But the signal for God to act on the earth is when he hears his people speak his word back to him. That's what he's looking for. When he hears his people speaking his word, declaring his word back into the heavens, God moves. He brings the realities of heaven into the earth. Psalm 115, verse 16 says this, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. And because God has determined that this is our realm, he never rescinded the command he gave to Adam. What sin did was make everything else in opposition to it. But God never said to Adam, Oh, by the way, you can't rule anymore. The devil's been trying to tell mankind that he can't. And sin has kind of messed up his ability to do it. But God never took that back. And you know how Adam exercised rule? The same way that God did. In Genesis 1, there's two things going on to create. God speaks and the spirit acts. Because we're told before we're told anything about God saying, let there be, let there be, let there be. It says the Spirit was brooding over the face of the deep. The authoritative word of God was going to be enacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what you find all the way through Genesis chapter 1. God says, God says, God says, and it was. Why was it? Because the Holy Spirit acted to bring it about. In Genesis chapter 2, we just find one instance where Adam does the same thing. God brings him all the animals. I don't believe he brought him the animals for him to choose a life partner. I think that's a very strange reading of that scripture. He brought him all the animals to show him all the other animals come two by two, Adam, and there's only one of you. I'm just teaching you something. That's, you know, I think that was the purpose of that. But as he brings them before him, Adam named the animals. And it says this, whatever Adam called them, whatever Adam named them, they were. You see, he didn't have to exert any force or any power of his own in order for that to be the case. He just had to speak the word. Just had to speak the word. Exactly like God did. And because this was his realm, whatever he said, the Holy Spirit made it so. Then you get to Genesis three, and it's all gone pear-shaped, apple-shaped, whatever. (laughs) And God says to him, "You're still in charge here. You're still going to work the ground. You're still going to try and subdue it. But you know what? Now you've got to do it by the sweat of your brow. So you you remove yourself from under the authority of God. You remove yourself from God's God's line of authority." And you'll find you no longer have the access to the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything's going to be hard work from now on, Adam. And then in Christ, we get back more than Adam lost. And one of the things we get back is the restoration of the ability to speak the authoritative word of God. And whatever we say, it is so. Why? Because we're standing in the perfect position of submission to the headship of Jesus Christ. And because he says, I've given the earth to the children of man. That's why we can speak the word of God and say, Here, O heavens. And we can pull the perfect will of God from the heavenly realm into the earth. Because the very next thing, he says this, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. Some versions say, give ear, O earth. Our prophesying both draws draws the kingdom of God from heaven to earth and makes a declaration to the world around us about what God is doing. You see, because it's not just having a vision and having insight and knowing what God's doing. We're to talk about it. We're to explain it. We're to proclaim it. A prophetic people are a talking people. I'm not naturally a talkative person. My wife would sometimes disagree. But I do believe in this kind of, you know, word quotas that men and women seem to have. And if I've had a day where I've not spoken very much, sometimes she can get home in the evening and I've got all my words left. (laughs) But I'm not very good at small talk. I'm not naturally talkative. But the Holy Spirit in me wants to make me talkative. He wants to make me talk about Jesus all the time. He wants to make me a a living, breathing, talking, Jesus-revealing, prophetic child of God. The prophetic people have always got something to say. Prophetic people will always have something to tell you about what God has done. Anyone here got a testimony? Okay, we'll try that again. Okay. Okay, I'm warning you, the question's coming now. Okay. You think I'm going to ask you to stand up and say it, aren't I? Aren't you? I promise you I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to do something much more difficult. Who here has got a testimony? Yeah, we've all got a testimony, haven't we? Do you know, do you know David? He said, he said to himself, forget not all of his benefits. Because yes. it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite difficult sometimes. You go, oh, I'm sure God must have done loads and loads of good things. I can't think of a single one of them right now. But you know what testimony does? The testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19.10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and you talk about Jesus, you're being prophetic. You talk about what Jesus has done, then the Holy Spirit begins to reveal Christ to people. Get into the habit of talking about what Jesus is doing. If you've got a friend who's got a great testimony, steal it. (laughs) I don't mean pretend it happened to you, but say, say, this amazing thing happened to my friend the other day. Just go! Wow. Yeah, Jesus did it. Oh. And maybe you go. Would you like to come and meet my friend? <laughs> come and see. you see. And as we begin to recount what God has done, the spirit of prophecy, which of course is about not about looking backwards. Yeah, prophecy is not about what He's done. Testimony is about what He's done. Prophecies about what he's going to do. And so every time we testify to Jesus, we're releasing the prophetic possibility that he'll do it again. Yeah? Talk about Jesus a lot, share the stories of what he's done. Prophecy comes as a statement. Of God's irrepressible intent. That is, if He says it, He will do it. What does Isaiah tell us? As the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth, and do not return until uh, and, and do not return void to the Lord. So is the word that I am sending you; it will not return to me until it has accomplished what I desire. But prophecy is also an invitation. And I think we need to understand this, because sometimes we receive a prophecy and we receive it in some kind of fatalistic way. God has said it, it's going to happen, I don't need to do anything about it. But actually, prophecy, I believe, is an invitation. God is stating his intention, and some way or another, he will make it happen. But our response determines whether we're part of that or not. It's an invitation to us to join in the purposes of God. It's really important that we lay hold of the prophetic word and do something with them. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, remember the prophetic words that came to you and make war on them. He'd thrown him into a really difficult situation. Go to Ephesus and sort out a church that's got loads of false teaching, many of it coming from the elders. Go in. Some commentators think that Timothy's first task was to go in and sack all the leaders. That's why he then has the instructions on how to appoint elders. But Paul writes to him and he says, remember the prophetic words. You can wage war on these. We've got to wage war on the prophetic word. We've got to lay a hold of it. We've got to to respond to the invitation that says, I want to be part of that, Lord. I I want to be right in the middle of your purposes. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. I just want to say something on this. God speaks through us. We don't just describe, to be prophetic and to prophesy is not just to describe what God is saying, but it's actually to speak with his voice. Because just like in Genesis 1, the voice of God, the word of God is creative. And there's a number of times, and I did it a few weeks ago with a young lady in our church, and she came forward and she described what she felt God wanted to say. And it was great. And she went to sit down I said, could you just come back again? I said, could you actually prophesy that? And she was a little confused because she thought she prophesied it. I said, well, what you did is you described what God wanted to say. You described what you thought God was saying to you. But can you prophesy it? Can you speak with the voice of God? Because when you do that, something creative is released. And of course, this isn't about a creation of fish in the sea and birds in the sky. This is about the new creation. This is about the creation that's going to last for all eternity. When we prophesy, when we speak the word of God, we're bringing something of the new creation into the world. Don't just talk about what God is saying, but speak the very word of God. How do you receive a prophetic word when it comes? What do you hear? Do you hear advice? Do you hear a a kind of a human interpretation of what's on the mind of God? Or do you hear the very word of God? Part of me thinks we should have a lot more prophecy in church, but part of me also thinks we should have a lot less. We can tend to get to a place where it's kind of like prophetic chatter. And God is in it, and people are bringing something. They've caught something of the heart of God, and they're trying to communicate it. But we can become content with a very low level of seeing in a mirror darkly. And what I believe God wants for us is for that that creative word to come. The creative word of God. I was this morning, I was with the uh, students of the Academy of Music and Worship. And I was there and Ezekiel Shabemba was there and Simon Blake, who's the principal, was there. And we set aside time just to pray with them and bring them the word of the Lord because they've only got a week left and they're all going off to different things. And I was very aware that when I brought the word, I didn't need to say very much, because what God was going to bring was going to create something in them, that it was a creative word, that it wasn't going to get better by doing it, by repeating what I was saying, or by elaborating what, this is just a simple word, Genesis 1, let there be light, you see, God didn't have to describe the light. He didn't have to give mathematical and physical formulas. He just said, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit said, I know what that means. Speak when you prophesy the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. When you hear the prophetic word, receive it as the word of the Lord oh sure we weigh the word we test the spirit that's right but we weigh the word and then when we realize this is the word of God we weigh ourselves against the word and we receive it as the the arbiter into our lives sure we test every spirit but then we hold fast to what is good and make it part of our lives. Paul says, don't treat prophecy with contempt. I don't for one moment think he was writing to a people who went around going, ah, oh, prophecy, waste of time. It's, it's, it's not really one of my favorite gifts. You know, give me a word of knowledge any day. No, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what they were doing. I think they were hearing and then forgetting. I think they were allowing the word of God to be something that maybe just came and tickled their ears or was just another voice speaking into their lives and then they just made their own decisions anyway. Now Paul says don't treat prophecy with contempt. Receive this as the very word of God to you. Okay, we'll we'll take a break. I don't know, how long do we break for, David? Five minute break. Five minute break. And then, um, if you've just, any, any questions you've got after that, um, I'd be very happy to at least have a crack at answering them.
2: Uh, so, I think Matthew's invitation was questions on
1: any topic. <laughs> yeah. Particularly good on geography.
2: Geography would be great. <laughs> Um, So does anybody have a question concerning prophecy, the prophetic ministry? Uh, Adam. Simon. Hi, Matthew. Uh, You mentioned about, um, you know, old men dreaming dreams Mm. and then younger men grabbing hold
1: of those dreams and turning them into their own visions. Yes. Could you go into a bit more how we can practically do that? Yes, certainly. Uh, Listen to old men. (laughs) let them speak. I remember one time, I remember one time being here uh, it was in a big meeting and Kerry was at the front here and uh, he, he took, uh, he picked on some young person and he took them over to Ted Kent yes. and he says, do you know who this gentleman is? And they said no and he just talked a little bit about Ted he said, you sit down and you listen to him. He said, Ted would be very happy to talk to you. He said, in fact, Ted would be happy to talk to you for a very long time <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that, I, I think it's, that I listen listen to, uh, talk with older people, but I think particularly in terms of leaders who have been men of vision, um, who, I, I anticipate, if, if Jesus doesn't return, I anticipate finishing my life, waiting for the well-done, good and faithful servant, being able to say, I've I've, I've won the race and I've, receive the crown but still having a huge expectation of what God is still going to do in the earth so that's what I'm talking about the dream, it's, it's that which I'm not going to see fulfilled myself but the next generation can and I think it's, listening. it's, it's really interesting that the, the Old Testament ends with a, with a, with, on a very downbeat prophecy so it appears at the end of Malachi where God talks about Elijah will come and um, before the great and terrible day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And you think, really? That's where the Old Testament ends, on, you know, getting on with your parents? Um, who's he writing to, a bunch of teenagers? But then when you realize that actually the, um, the purposes of God must always be handed on from one generation to another, and church history is littered with revivals that only lasted for one generation, and a revival only becomes restoration, I believe, when it passes over the generational barrier and and that's why this was actually such a powerful promise that God was saying that there's an in the era of the spirit, generations will be hand in hand, generations will be reconciled to one another and there won't be there won't be in in the, in the spirit there won't be this i want to th- well I want to throw off what my fathers did and do my own thing um, so uh, listen, listen to the men that have gone before you. Listen even to those that are dead and though they, they still speak. Today, they do, they do it via, you know, podcasts and books and stuff like that. Listen, listen to what these men were saying. Listen to someone like um, um, T. Austin Sparks. He saw very little of what he wrote about. If you look at what he saw historically and what he was involved in, he saw very little I believe he was writing for me, because his his, his the, the the way he expressed his revelation, to him I would call it a dream, because he didn't see very much of it come to pass. But it's now shaping the vision of generations after him. Does that help?
2: Great question, fantastic answer, Mr. Rowland.
3: Hi, Matthew. Thank you for your time this evening. Can you have more than one vision?
1: Uh, <laughs> I, well, I think you can certainly have different aspects within the vision, yeah. There, there can be things that are not necessarily um, related to one another. I think there would have to be a compatibility in them. Do you, can, you, can you kind of be more... Uh,
3: can you have two visions? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just wondering whether you could concurrently run with two visions or actually whether the focus that God gives you to achieve, you know, to go deep, um, means I I can't think of any scriptural precedent for running with two visions. Um, Maybe that's double-minded. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's exactly what, what 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 we would mean by that. I can see... Um, Let me take you as an example. Okay, so I'll take you as an example. You, I know you have a heart for business and you have a heart for the church, and there may well be there will be different things that are outworked in those times. But they're not really two different visions because they they meet up in you. <laughs> um, so I think there can be more than one thing that God puts on your heart to do, and some people have a capacity to do more than one thing at the same time, but. Um, Vision is supposed to make you run. That's Habakkuk 2. You know, write down the vision and make it plain that he that reads it will run. (laughs) And you certainly can't run in two directions at the same time. Although my legs do try to do that sometimes.
3: May (laughs) I ask a second question while I've got the mic, please? My my last question. what advice would you give to um, any of us in the room who may actually be sat here thinking, I'm not sure that I've got a vision?
1: Yeah, okay. So,
3: um,
1: the role of prophets in the church today, along with apostles, apostles and prophets are, uh, have a, an, a, an ability to bring revelation to the church. And if you feel, I don't really know what my vision is, and of course our vision is part of his vision, yeah, that's really important that we understand that. And although it's important that we own our vision, what you'll find is it's very compatible with those that God has joined you to. Okay, You're not, you're not going to be running in opposite directions to the people that God has joined you with. You're not going to have a vision that's, that's completely diametrically opposed to the elders of the church. Or if you do, it probably means... You ought to belong to a different church that has a similar vision, and I think there are very positive and good ways that people can make that transition. But, um, but um, the the vision will is will come to you as you put yourself under apostolic and prophetic ministry. Um, and so I would say, if you um, a, again, um, that, that is true in general. But there's an awful lot of people out there who put lots of stuff off the, on the internet and call themselves prophets, and I just think they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being kind. So I wouldn't recommend you just kind of go out and Google prophet and <laughs> listen to whatever they say. God puts us in a family. He puts us in a home. Um, and um, so, so those that are... Um, prophets within this this company, within this apostolic house, um, will be those who will most likely fuel your vision. So I would say things like this. I would say, first of all, um, if you feel like I really, really want to get a, a clearer vision or I really want to get a vision, number one, be at Bible Week, because that is going to be a time of prophetic declaration, and I guarantee that you will not be able to go to Bible Week, listen to the ministry, hear what God is saying, without coming away with a sense that your vision has been increased. Um, so it's, it's making choices like that. It's also drawing on others. And, and again, you can, you can do it through... Um, if, you're, if you're uncertain, kind of, if you want to kind of draw on other resources and you're not sure of where the best place to go is, have a word with David or Richard or Chris. or say, Who do you recommend I listen to? What books do you recommend I read? What, you know, what, who, whose sermon should I go looking on the internet for? There's an amazing resource of Bryn Jones' messages. Again, you will not be able to, to listen to, to, to many of those, or there's quite a lot of videos there. You won't be able to watch many of those without getting a sense of vision. Because men and women who have a, a, a revelatory ministry, because the vision is Christ, yeah? Paul's vision was Christ. And apostles and prophets are given the ability to reveal Christ. And how that then forms in your mind is the vision that you're going to run with.
4: Is that okay? Slightly following on, I feel like I've got a bit of an essay title here for you. Oh. Which is, you've mentioned obviously the prophetic word. As it says in Revelation, the, the essence of prophecy is to give clear witness of yeah, G- who Jesus that's is. That's right. And I suppose my my, my question is, how do you compare and contrast prayer and prophecy in your own personal life? So, for instance, um, I'm sure you don't always necessarily stand in a mirror and prophesy to yourself. Right, yeah. So, if I was in a situation where I was, I was seeking God for something, yeah. if I'm reading the word aloud, yeah. I'm almost prophesying. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm reading the word of God. Yeah. And I'm just keen to understand your. Um, uh, understanding or how you see prayer and prophecy in your own personal life when you're seeking God for something. Okay. It, just to say yeah. something else. Yeah. So, if I'm just trying to expand a yeah. little bit. So, if the essence of prophecy is to give clear witness for Jesus, yeah. and I'm asking God for something and I'm needing faith for something, yeah. I almost have to prophesy to myself, even though I know Jesus is real and he exists yeah. and everything else. So um, it's just the prayer and the prophes- yeah. prophes- prophetic yeah. in your own personal life yeah. and in your own personal time. Yeah, Yeah. so prayer
1: is often, you can often think of prayer as inquiring of God, of asking God. Yeah. But, but we expect that when we ask, we, we get an answer. And, and, and I think the idea of prophesying over yourself is really important because for the reason that I said earlier. It's one thing to know what God is saying but something different happens when you hear the word spoken because the word is creative. And so I think in, in the context of what you're talking, I think we can think of prayer as that. Prayer is, prayer is never coming with a list of things that we want God to do. Prayer is about bending our will to his will. Yeah? Prayer is sometimes about just pouring everything out and getting it all out there. You see, there it is, Lord, that's everything I feel. And you're going, great. Now then, let me tell you what I'm going to say. Let me tell you what I feel. Let me tell you what i and, and so, so we, we shouldn't be ever afraid of saying anything to God. Um, but always with an anticipation, it's, I, I'm the one that's going to be changed here, not God. <laughs> I think that there's a, there's a great um, spiritual discipline that I think you, if you kind of stick a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 14 together... I I think Paul is, is kind of showing us this there. He says some things about tongues and interpretation. He says that all tongues have meaning and therefore can be interpreted. He says that all tongues are speaking mysteries to God. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit searches the deep things of God and that's the same Spirit that lives within you and empowers you to speak in tongues. The Spirit knows the deepest, deepest thoughts of God, and he resides in you. And when you speak in tongues, you are speaking mysteries out of the eternal depths of the mind of God. And I kind of think they're going to be the mysteries, at least some of the time, that are to do with me (laughs) and the part I have to play in the purposes of God. And Paul is talking about tongues and interpretation. He says, so what shall I do? He said, well, I'll pray with my spirit, and I'll pray with my understanding. I'll sing in the spirit, and I'll sing with my understanding. And I think he's giving us a, a spiritual discipline here or a spiritual tool to say that just you by yourself in your time with the Lord, if you're seeking the mind of God, well, you have the spirit within you who can express the mind of God in the language of tongues. So pray in tongues, and then interpret it sing in the spirit, and then sing in English, and see what happens, and I've done this enough times with myself, to do it all the time, I've done it enough times, even just in groups of, of people, and so let's, let's all try this, and you know what, the Holy Spirit, he always plays ball with that, <laughs> um, because he wants you, he wants to, you know, mysteries, he wants to reveal mysteries, we're living in the era of the, of the revealing of mysteries, okay, <laughs> You know, he wants to, Amos three, he wants to tell you his secrets. <laughs> and so I, I think that, that dynamic of of actually coming to God with with a with with all the right attitude of Lord saying, you know, I want you, you know, am seeking first the kingdom, I want your will and not my will. And and just engaging with the spirit who's in you. And then just saying to him, because Paul also says in there, whoever speaks in tongues should pray for the power to interpret. You just say, Holy Spirit, please give me the power to interpret. And then then see what comes. And um, I I find it um, a remarkably powerful thing that God has given us to do. Um, It's okay.
2: Fantastic. Any questions in the middle section?
5: Right. um, You were talking about receiving prophetic word, prophecy and stuff. And, I mean, I've had people kind of prophecy over me and stuff. And I'm actually just wondering, practically, when people are doing that, I'm sure it's different for different people, but how does it actually happen? How do you know that you're getting something from God, whether it's like whoever it's for, or yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so if you're the one, so if you're the one listening to the word, you mean? If you're the one, list, someone's bringing you a prophecy. Is that what? Is that your question? No,
5: I'm sort of saying for the person who's actually getting. For the person who's actually, say, giving a prophecy speaking, to someone yeah. else, how what, do you know that's God? How does that person know yeah. that it's from God? Yeah. What's actually happening inside? What are you hearing, seeing, yeah. whatever?
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no I've got, that of course is just about the most fundamental question that we have to ask about prophecy. Um, so there's a, there's a number of there's a number of ways to answer that, and, and if you like the uh, the, the first and the best answer is probably also not particularly helpful, which is by faith. Because that's how we live the whole of the Christian life. So in, in a sense, it's, it's by faith. It's not by other signs. It's not by anything external. However, let's now describe some of the things that we can do and some of the ways that the Holy Spirit does speak to us so that we can learn his voice. And, and you're right to say he will speak to different people in different ways but there are some things that he does do consistently. The first thing is, he always speaks in line with the written word of God. So the first key to help us uh, be to train our ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying is to read the Bible lots. So I don't know whether it was here, because uh, I heard Steve Wilkins speak a number of times when he was here recently. So I don't know whether he said it when he was here with you, but I imagine he probably did. He talked about lots of Christians who want to hear the still, small voice of God, but they don't give themselves to the loud, clear word of God. Yeah? Um, and so that's a Steve quote, not mine. Okay, so, uh, um, so really get into the word, because the Holy Spirit will, uh, will always speak in line with the word. Um, so I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's one um, key The other one is, um, um, the the Holy Spirit will will tend to speak to us, I find this, a lot of people I talk to would say this, the Holy Spirit will speak to you in, in your own voice. It's not like a booming kind of James Earl Jones or whoever it is, who's the, who's the Darth Vader voice guy, um, when, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, it's just like any other thought, except I go, hang on a minute, that's not my thought. <laughs> I don't think like that. That's, and, 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 it, and it arrests my attention, because I go, well, that, that's not come from my natural mind. And then I'll start to talk to the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting how the Holy Spirit, you get some, uh, beginning of Jeremiah, you get an insight into how a young prophet grows in hearing the voice of the Lord. And the Lord says to him, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see an almond branch. Now, I know a lot of Christians, and I've been in some meetings, that at that point, they would come to the front of the meeting and say, I'd just like to share a vision. Um, the Holy Spirit, showed me an almond branch. Um, uh, I don't know what it means, but if anyone has the interpretation... And they give Mike back, back to David, and David's going, this hasn't helped me at all. <laughs> and everyone have a pop at kind of, you know, what an almond branch might be. But actually what's happened is that the Holy Spirit's just trying to get Jeremiah's attention. He says, Jeremiah, look, look at this. What do you see? He goes, oh, an almond branch. Now how did that actually happen to Jeremiah? It wasn't like a hologram of an almond branch appeared before him. It was, he just saw it in his mind's eye. And he heard... He heard I'm presuming the voice of God, just as a thought in his mind, saying, Jeremiah, what's that? And he said, hang on a minute, this isn't me. (laughs) God's speaking to me. And he says, this is the important thing, he answers God back. He says, I see an almond branch. Now, this is where you get revelation from the footnotes, because if you read Jeremiah 1, it'll tell you that in the Hebrew language, the the phrase almond branch sounds very, very similar to the phrase watching over. Obviously, that doesn't work in English, but in, in Hebrew, the two phrases sound the same. And he says, Well, I see an almond branch. And God says, That's right, I'm watching over my word to perform it. And, 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 and I know it's recorded for us now and we can read it, but there's at no point is, is Jeremiah said, now go and bring the message of the almond branch. This is just his own schooling in how God is going to communicate with Jeremiah. With Jeremiah then, and he sees something else. And he sees, What do you see? He says, I see a pot facing the north. And he says, that's right, and, and trouble is going to come from the north. And so it's it, God begins to enter him into a dialogue long before he ever tells him to go and start prophesying. So God will train you to hear his voice in ways that communicate clearly with you. But the, our response is exactly like Samuel. Eli says to Samuel, well, next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, <laughs> I'm listening. God, he first of all wants to get our attention. And so if we cultivate that that dialogue with the Holy Spirit we will be much more confident then when he comes and says go and tell this person that or go and stand at the front of the meeting and prophesy this and we're not going to, well, was that the voice of God I know the voice of God because I've done that almond branch training program that the Holy Spirit has <laughs> I've, 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 I've learned how to, to speak with him so I, I think, so two things it's the word and the spirit get, get full of the word know the word and then also give yourself to dialoguing with the Holy Spirit, because uh, He wants to live. At, he wants us to live in a, in a continual dialogue with Him.
2: And if I could ask a question, Matthew, you talked about um, um, prophetic word comes as an invitation yeah. to us. Um, could you give us some practical ways that people can? Respond to yeah. the invitation. How do we? What do we? What do we do with the invitation? Yeah. Um,
1: I think this is all part of weighing the word, because I think weighing the word. Although in the in the first thing, the first thing that weighing the word means is to is just to acknowledge this is God and this isn't just some random word that somebody's bringing. But then weighing becomes much more than that. It's um, God says to, uh, through Daniel to, to Belshazzar, Belshazzar, um, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. <laughs> the word comes, and it's those old, that, 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 that kind of image of, the, of, of balance pans, where you put the object that you want to weigh in one side, and you put the, the amount of weight in the other side, or the other way around. And, and the idea is that they should level up. And the word of God then, to weigh the word, is to make sure that my life levels up with the word of God. Um, I, I think very practically, the first thing um, I, I would say is that, that we, um, we acknowledge that we've, hear, we've heard from God. Yeah. So when he speaks, he says, Lord, thank you, we've heard your word. Write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, in the tabernacle, in, in the tabernacle of David, there was a ministry of recording. Okay, and they didn't have guys at the back like this. In fact, they did. They had guys at the back like this, but they didn't have any electronics they just probably had clay tablets or parchment or whatever. And as the prophetic word came, they would write it down. Um, that was the ministry of recording. Take the word. Say, Lord, I've, I've, we've, we've heard the word. Now, the first thing that will help you line your life up to the word is to speak the word back to God. Um, and, and you find this a lot of times through the scripture that when God speaks, the, 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 the right response is to speak the word back to God. Um, it's like it's like Isaiah. hero, heavens! <laughs> it's Lord. I've heard this, and I'm putting it back out there, and I'm saying Amen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm I'm I'm. You've spoken from heaven to earth. Now I'm going to speak your word back from earth to heaven, and things begin to change. Then things begin to move. And the third thing I think to do then is to begin to is to make active steps to align your life with that word. Yeah. Um, the word of God does mean change. Um, The word of God will always mean, in some way, shape, or form, leaving something behind. Um, Everything is beautiful in its time, says Ecclesiastes. So I'm not talking about leaving behind sin. Of course, we want to leave behind sin. But it's also leaving behind the things that were beautiful but aren't aren't for today. And I think that's often where we fall down, isn't it? We go, I really like this. (laughs) And God says, yes, it was beautiful in its time. I've got something else for you now. And, and, and so you, you've, it's that willingness to change. It's that willingness to, to actually live your life differently because of what God has said. And sometimes that will be something really radical, like moving to another country. Um, and, and, and somehow, sometimes we find those decisions easier. <laughs> um, it's, it's, in, it's, in the, it's in the small things. It's in the little changes. It's in from the one degree of glory to another changes that we're often more reluctant, I think less radical with ourselves um, to to kind of lay aside uh, and to embrace the word that God has got but it's an invitation and it's an invitation into the glories that follow the the ever glorious uh, kingdom of God
2: I'm conscious of the time but I'm really enjoying the Q&A but I think we should draw things to a close there. Matthew's been fantastic, very, very helpful, practical for us. We really appreciate it.
0: And, uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4 p.m. in Tamworth and Market Harbor. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.